0: Through the course of the rest of this week, we'll spend time looking at this one aspect of our lives in Christ, worship. What is it? Let's talk about that next. So let me ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus? When you came to faith in Christ, was it something you added to your life? Something you just casually fold in every now and then, usually on a Sunday? Or do you have true, sincere affections for Christ? Does Christ really matter in your life? If so, you'll find yourself worshiping Him. And that's what worship is all about, at least from the eyes of the Apostle Paul here in Philippians 3, verses 1 through 4. Join us there, won't you, for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Here's Pastor Phil Howard as we begin our look at Philippians 3.
1: There's a lot said about worship. It's an amazing thing. Worship is never defined in Scripture. The Old Testament word and the New Testament word simply meant to bow or to kiss. And so it leaves us, uh, because royalty or... Greatness, always you bow before them. So we get that word. And none of us bow today, but I believe we worship. Uh, the New Testament word proskuneo means to kiss toward. And so um, it was to kiss the ring of nobility or paying some kind of a homage was the idea. And so there's all kinds of concepts. What is worship? Uh, of course, if you know anything about the music battles in the church, this is worship, this isn't, a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, so we're going to start a journey, and I'm going to see in Philippians 3, I'll just read the first four verses. But the chapter is saying how Paul is driven in life to know Christ. And to, uh, he's counted everything else next to Christ but rubbish. He says, I want his righteousness. I want to be found in him. Verse 10, I want to know him. And then he says, though, beginning the chapter, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, he says that in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Um, I want you just to look at... uh, PowerPoint. We weren't able to make it today. That didn't happen. So I'm sorry. We have to just to listen well and scribble a note if you dare do that. Uh, look at a few verses with me on this concept of rejoice. Look at in Psalms, God's hymn book and worship book for Israel. 31.7. Look at what it says. By the way, it ought to be the guideline for us. It's themes, and we can't improve on it. Uh, Look at just some verses: thirty-one, seven. I will be glad and rejoice in a promotion. I will be. I will be glad in what? We sang about that, didn't we? Does, God, does God's love make you glad? Okay. And that's what he said. Let God's love be the source of you being glad or rejoicing or being happy in spirit. Uh, now, wh- how often does God stop loving you? How often do you get unglad? Gotcha. Uh, look at uh, Psalms thirty two eleven. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad all the earth. Does it say that? Who's supposed to do it? Anybody here righteous? I am. I've been justified by faith. Justified means declared righteous. Righteous ones. All of you that are in Christ, I know your life sometimes doesn't look like it. But if you're in Christ, you're considered righteous. You're considered a saint, though you're not perfect. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Look at 33.1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Now, you notice my biggest problem with 33 is not your singing. It is whether you're joyful when you're singing. Because some of you can't sing. Your wife knows it. The dog knows it. But God does not put qualifications on singing. He's focusing on the attitude by which you sing. Just singing in the service today doesn't mean you did it joyfully. Because that's an inner heart attitude. Uh, When we sing, love lifted me... uh, I don't think in 55 years, I've never not heard that song. I've heard it all my life. It still fills me with thoughts of the love of God for me. And uh, I today didn't just mimic and sing words. I had a worship experience thinking about the love of God. That song conjures up in my soul. Uh, You you find many times we're we're trying to get you to sing. You know what? It's not the singing is your problem. It's you've lost your joy. It's deeper than singing. Christians that are controlled by the Spirit sing. It didn't say they know how. They sing. Uh, Let's continue this. Uh, Look at uh, 3211. While we look there, I want you to look at uh, forty. Chapter 40, there are so many verses. I'm just being selective. 40, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvations always say, the Lord be exalted. Uh, Those who seek God ought to be characterized by joy. They're rejoicing. I am convinced some of the greatest distractions of Christianity is Christians. Sour Christians. uh, Ugly Christians in spirit. Uh, They've got to make their kids come to church because the kids don't want to go to a church that makes their parents so miserable. I'll tell you, a joyful Christianity is more contagious than a preacher preaching to an empty building. Contagious on the job and the home. Rejoicing because I'm seeking the living God. I've got a song in my heart in the kitchen, in the front room. I don't pick up God at the back door. I'm going to have him all week. He runs the house. Chapter 70. Verse 4. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, Let God be exalted. Let's say two things today. I may mean, I, I don't think I'll get to the second, but I'll try, but I don't count on it. At least the first thing. God expects his people to have a certain emotional response to it. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, I'm not made that way. I'm a cleric. Get over it. I'm a Sanquin. I'm a melancholy. What's that got to do with it? Well, our family was always austere. I thought you were in God's family. Uh, You don't know what I've been through. Uh, I don't need to. God commands his people to have certain emotions. Now, when he says rejoice in the Lord, is that a command or a suggestion? A command. Uh, and this is to be a characteristic of those who know God. They have a joy that's unexplainable. And when Paul writes on this joy, he happens to be in jail. Not the best place to think about writing a thesis on joy. Uh It's an interesting thing that what we've done in conservative Christianity, and it goes way back, it goes way back. Uh, If you read a book by Jonathan Edwards uh, in the 1700s, uh, when the Great Awakening swept over the New England states, he pastored up in Northampton. He was the uh, intelligentsia, the genius of his day. Yale University has just reprinted all of his works, and I think there are over 50 volumes. I've got a two-volume set that you have to magnify practically to read it. It is so much. He had no computer. had no electricity. No indoor plumbing. Uh, he, had not, he would save scraps of paper. He's out in the frontier up there in Massachusetts. He would save scraps of paper to write his sermons on. And yet we've got at least 52 volumes that Cambridge University said, or Yale, we want to print because he was one of the founders of Yale, one of their early... Uh, Graduates. He became the leader and the president of Princeton, but died shortly afterwards. Brilliant. And what he God raised him up because in the Great Awakening, there were emotional excesses. Things happened that were uh, out of the way. Most of New England was dead. They were deists. They were liberals. They doubted the Bible a lot. There was little going on in New England in the 1700s. It was dead dead liberalism and there's a little bit of life and God brought a guy by the name of George Whitfield to America and his before that John Wesley and Charles had gone down in Georgia and Alabama area and uh, they tried to start an orphanage and had preached there but they weren't real successful because they weren't even saved and they got saved on the way back on the ship, they saw the Moravians and how they responded in the storm and saw their hope, and they realized they weren't saved; they were just religious. And so, uh, George Winfield came, this great preacher that could preach in an open field of thirty-five thousand people, and everybody could hear him. Benjamin Franklin became his printer and would go and hear him preach. And he said, "I heard him preach to thirty-five thousand people, and you can hear it." Like a clarion call, it was a phenomenon that anybody's voice could go that far out without a microphone to 35,000 people. And one of his great passions was the, the black people of America. They say Whitfield was one of the first white men that ever went down into Georgia and Alabama and told black slaves they had a soul. And the biographer of his life says that when black men and women stood in cotton fields and were worked like mules and treated like animals and had been told they had no soul. When Whitfield preached the claims of Christ and said, you have a soul. You have an inner being. You're going to heaven or hell. You're not an animal. You're not a mule. You got worth. They said all the slaves did was weep in the fields. And he started an orphanage for their children. And he went back to New England. And he always taken an offering for this orphanage for these black children down there in Georgia. And here he is from England. Revival swept. Benjamin Franklin said, I never go to hear Whitfield with money in my pocket. Because he always gets everything in my pocket for this orphanage. He went one morning and took no money. And David Hume, the infidel, came to see the phenomenal preacher. And he said, David, loan me some money. I didn't bring any. (laughs) You never went to hear Whitfield because he preached with passion and persuasion and picked all the money out of the white folks' pockets to help these neglected children down in the South. Well, along at that same time, Whitfield met Jonathan Edwards. And where Edwards was the brain that wrote about the revival. And he wrote it in Religious Affections. It's a hard read. Anything Edwards writes is hard to read. And he began to say there have been excesses, people swooning, people fainting, uh uh kind of revivalistic kind of things maybe shouting or, and this was unheard of you know especially in these congregational churches and dead theology always breeds a morgue-like feeling you don't have to worry about too much emotion in the cemetery where there is something going on there may be a little rowdiness and so Jonathan wrote up and he was criticized on both sides the intellectuals throughout the revival is having no validity. He began to write and he began to do a study on the authenticity of emotions in the work of God in the heart. And he called it affections, but his word affections means emotions. And he began to talk about when God works in the heart, we will say with Peter, though not having seen him to us, he has become precious. And we begin to have a joy unexpressible, and full of glory. And he says, where God's working in the heart, there will be a category of emotions attributed just to your knowing God. And here Paul starts out, he says, Rejoice! This ought to be the ongoing attitude of soul, heart, and feast of every believer that we are joyful people. We ought to sing, we ought to laugh, through this pilgrim land. I'm a wayfaring stranger. I bury mother. I bury father. I bury loved ones. I bury people in this church. But there is a joy based upon knowing God that nothing of the winds of this world should be able to touch. So he commands an emotional life. And what we have done today in conservative circles if you're the emotional crowd, we know you came from one of these charismatic Pentecostal groups because they're the ones that's gone zonkers on emotions. We say we are Bible people, which means uh, we are, all we want is definitions. We don't want any excitement because that gets radical. I, I'm just not built. I just want the word. Well, this word says God wants certain emotions to be going on in your emotional. You can't whip them up. You've got to ask God for them. And we're not going to judge your emotional level compared to mine. But there is an inner sense of, I have the joy of the Lord. When's the last time you met a Christian who said, how are you doing? Oh, well, I can't explain it, but I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. We used to sing that. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full. I'm off key, but it was something like that. (laughs) Have you ever been around and done anything with God where the only thing you could say, it's a joy I can't explain. It's too wonderful. It's too great, too magnificent. Conservatives have quenched it so long they're not experiencing it. Because they're afraid of being labeled something to the left. And they go right against the Bible they say they love. Because the Bible is the source of the emotions I'm to have. Now, I want to give you a list. You make the journey. You've got to write these down. Let me just give you some things. You shall not covet. Exodus 20, verse 17. Now, that, that's an emotion and, and a bit of the soul. Coveting. Always wanting. You may not think of that. Think of it as a strong desire if you want. But I want... You shall not do that. Now that speaks to your inner life. Nobody knows if you're coveting or not. But he says, don't covet your neighbor's wife, his goods. Don't do that. Then in Hebrews 13, he says, be contented. Let your manner of life be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said... I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Your contentment is not based on how much money you have. It's based upon his promise. He has said, I will never leave you. Uh, Sharing with the staff a National Geographic article that says, 3 billion people on the face of the earth now make less than $2 a day. So that means everybody in this building is rich. By world standards. We're the other 3000000000 billion, aren't we? How many of you make more than $2 a day? Anybody? Yeah, I thought so. And the article goes on slavery. Slavery is abounding in the world today. We're selling children. Uh, we sell women from the Ukraine and turn them into whores in the brothels of even Israel. The article had a brothel in Israel. The gal was a Ukrainian. A man got a price for You could sell your own children in India for 35 bucks and they'll work 10 hours a day for the rest of their life. 35 bucks. Right now they figure there's 15 to 20 million debt slaves in India. Any of you slaves? Maybe slaves to sin, but we've come a long ways. He says, be content with what you have. It's against everything the American society grows on. Our society is built on greed and more. And mercy has nearly died by the way. Don't share it. Just hoard it. Uh, Hope. Listen to this verse. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. Psalms 42, 5. Hope is my future is as bright as the promises of God. My future is as bright as God's promises. Now, is that what determines your fear, anxiety, or optimism? Some of you may think, uh, I have no future. Hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. You hear a verse like 1 Peter 1, 22 since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. It'd been enough if he would have just said love one another. How do you love someone fervently? It's a little bit more than love normally, I would think. It's an emotion. It's an attitude of love. Fear God has told us to fear no, no one but Himself. Luke 12:5, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after He is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, fear Him. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can determine your eternal destiny. So just fear the Lord. Don't be afraid of everybody. We're filled with a world full of fears. We can't get enough alarm systems. Uh, Enough guns, enough police protection. We have become a fearful society. Peace. Uh, Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Uh, What's your uh, peace quotient? I, I like to think our emotional life is sometimes like a thermometer on where we are. Uh, that we all have dry seasons. We all have times that uh, you're walking truly. We we walk by faith. But you need to see that the birthright of the believer is God has not called you to a miserable experience of knowing him, but the ultimate reward of knowing him is pleasure. He becomes your greatest pleasure. And I think the reason we've been tough in getting young people... Uh, to know God, is we've told them everything they can't do. And we've painted a Christianity that is not pleasurable. It's austere, sell out, give up, hold on, you know, let go, let God, and quit everything. It's just saying, why don't you come to the greatest source of pleasure you'll ever find? It's in God. The best use of money is found in God in his way. The best use of sex is God's way of sex. The best way of treating people is God's way. The best way of living out life is having God the center of all that I do. And it will not make a miserable people. It will make a people that overflow, that I exalt, that I can call this God my greatest treasure. Treasuring God as the greatest thing you possess. It is so hard to give away a God that's going to make everybody miserable. But if we could tell them, come you who have no money. Come you who are poor come and find the joy beyond all the ages, you can plunge into the eternal Godhead and say, I'm basking in the richness of calling God my possession. This is the Bible view of God.
0: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules.